turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. I think skepticism is a really good thing. I'm a skeptic about a lot of things. Politics, advertising, media, journalism. It's good to be a skeptic. It's good to be a healthy skeptic. And we have the healthy skeptic joining us next. It's time for the Michelle Tafoya podcast. So skepticism is a good thing. It's a it's kind of a an idea that you don't necessarily just take everything at face value, right? You want to dig in a little bit more and maybe you think, gosh, is this really true? Are we all going to die in nine years because of climate change? What? So it's good to be skeptic, as a skeptic, and we have the healthy skeptic, Kevin Roche, joining us next. You may be uh, familiar with his webpage, his blog, his podcast, healthyskeptic.com, healthy-skeptic.com. Uh, we're going to talk to him about climate change, uh, medicine, food, and it's all within a very short, nice, tidy conversation. So you want to stick around for that. Also, I have breaking news. Genucel has upgraded their most popular package to feature their top-selling deep-firming vitamin C serum plus ultra-retinol moisturizer with natural retinol alternative. I love this stuff. Right now, take advantage of this limited-time package upgrade, 70% off. Why waste time and money to go get work done when you can have this stuff delivered right to your door and have beautiful effects. Here's a review from Robert in Blessing, Texas. This comes from Genucel.com. I purchased Genucel as a gift for my girlfriend. She said she saw results so fast, so we joined their concierge program immediately. It's honestly the best skincare she's ever used and is extremely impressed with all the Genucel products. So am I. Her skin is noticeably softer and smoother. I can see and feel a difference too. She was already beautiful and Genucel has made her more beautiful. That's really sweet. And I, I listen, I talk about being a skeptic. I'm a skeptic of everything. But Genucel, I see the results. Genucel's secret is a family recipe for over 20 years that makes it safe for all skin types. It's perfect for both men and women. It's made by a compounding pharmacist in small batches. It's always safe, cruelty-free, and natural. So now go to genucel.com slash Michelle and save over 70% off Genucel's most popular package featuring both the Genucel Ultra Retinol and Genucel Firming Serum. Oh, I love that stuff. Don't wait. Go to Genucel.com. It's G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Genucel.com slash Michelle. Get a complimentary spa essentials box with every package order plus free upgrade to priority shipping. Genucel.com slash Michelle. Genucel.com slash Michelle. The healthy skeptic, Kevin Roche, is next. Kevin Roche is the healthy skeptic, and I'm so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. And if you would, how would you describe your background and how you became the healthy skeptic? Uh, well, I've worked for about 50 years in healthcare, um, 
I, it's, I'm pretty old, so it's kind of a long, a long career. Uh, I at one point became general counsel at United Health Group, and then I also uh, started and ran a division there, uh, which was devoted to healthcare research uh, and data and policy. Uh, subsequent to leaving United, I've invested in and been involved with a number of healthcare companies, uh, sat on a number of boards. Um, I have a longtime business partner. Um, we've worked on a variety of our own startups, and right now we're involved with a startup that um, manages cell and gene therapies for payers. So I stay actively involved. Um, I've always enjoyed science and reading research. Um, I started the blog uh, probably 15 years ago now, yeah. really as a healthcare kind of business and policy uh, blog. And the epidemic, as it did for many people, kind of uh, turned um, the focus of the blog to research and data that was related to the epidemic. Um, and I've also increasingly used it as an opportunity to um, uh, opine on other topics. Yes, you talk a lot about climate and so forth, which we'll get to. I'm curious, you call it the epidemic rather than pan the pandemic. Is there a reason for that? N no, not really. Uh, okay. You know, epidemic, pandemic, it's all potato, the, potato, tomato, yeah, tomato. Is all that the, the same <laughs> thing. People use pandemic when it's global as opposed to more isolated, right? Uh, in a more isolated geography, but I don't think it really matters. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So you call yourself a skeptic. And certainly you've been on the inside of the healthcare industry enough to see the good, the bad, the ugly, the true, the false, I would imagine every aspect over those five decades. And so it's good to have skepticism. I like skepticism. I think it's important. But are there particular things that maybe made you skeptical of big medicine? Is that is that a fair term, first of all? You know, I, I think um, when I think of or talk about skepticism, it's really just a part of I try to always encourage people to get information for themselves. And it's more important than ever today with social media and other sources of information that are very short uh, and very discreet. Everything is actually complex. <laughs> Nothing is simple. Right. So I, you, you'll notice in the post, I always link to everything I talk about and I want people Go read it for yourself. And I think most people have more ability than they give themselves credit for to look at data and to read research and to understand what they're seeing. Sadly, I think, I, I think, think is, is important. I agree with you. Sadly, I think it's, it's people are capable. I don't think they want to spend the time. Everyone wants an easy answer. Everyone wants an app for that. Everyone wants a shortcut. And we don't have the patience. Now, I suppose if something were to really hit us personally, we would go do the research about that particular thing. But in general, I, I think people just don't have the patience. Uh, clearly, you do, which is why I'm, I'm happy to have you on. And we mentioned that you talk about, again, it's healthyskeptic.com and it's healthy-skeptic.com uh, if you want to check it out. And you should because there are some great blurbs written here. June 5th, that was yesterday. Help, I'm melting, I'm melting not. 
And so you talk about the ice melting that a lot of people, you know, are clamoring about. Oh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio saying there's no snow left on the the planet. He needs to visit Minnesota in the winter. Um, But you you get into this talk about these these shelves. So what what did you find here in this this data about melting? Yeah, this is something actually I've tracked for a really long time. There's a couple of websites that actually use satellite photos and routinely post them. So you can you can see the extent of the ice both in the Arctic and Antarctic. I, I really love science. I just think it's great. And it's very distressing to me the um, – really the complete corruption and perversion of science in so many areas. And climate science is one of the worst. It's, you know, been driven by an agenda um, that is based on um, things that aren't actually true. And what the public hears and sees um, is often not true. So anybody who only gets their information from, you know, the newspapers or TV stations would think that, you know, ice is melting everywhere and see the sea level is rising and it's going to swamp our coastal cities. And that's just not true. And that particular study um, shows that for the last 20 years, both the extent of the area that's covered by ice in Antarctica and the amount of ice has grown. It hasn't shrunk. What you, you mentioned that, that the climate science has been distorted. I'm wondering to what purpose is this green movement? Is it, is it purely political? Is it purely, uh, what is it about? You've got these young people like Greta Thunberg, you know, just telling us we're all evil and how dare us. And then you've got, you know, a study like this that doesn't get amplified. What is the, what is the root cause behind that? Um, I think it's complex. You know, there are obviously people who are very concerned and everyone should be concerned about the environment, the earth, what, what's happening to the earth. Um, I look, we're all human beings, right? We're all subject to biases. We don't think rationally. We react emotionally. As we were just discussing, most of the time we we don't really dig into an issue. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of what we see is literally pushed for the benefit of, you know, a few basically very wealthy people who make a fortune off of um, renewable energy pushes, consulting on you know, the supposed impending climate disaster. So there are a lot of people who make a lot of money from uh, this supposed, you know, global warming disaster. So I think that's that's part of it. Um, but a lot of it's just, frankly, the media plays along. Yes. It's interesting you mentioned that that small group of what well, every time I see the the World Economic Forum, the WEF, and they all take their private jets into some swanky town in Austria or wherever it happens to be. And they eat a ton of delicious food and sit around in their designer suits. It makes me think, boy, here we go again. Follow the money. This is it, it's it, those three words. Follow the money tend to be correct in so many instances. And it's 
it's really disheartening, right? It's for those of us who aren't yeah. in that group and those of us who just want to live our lives and do our best at protecting our little portions of the planet that we live in, our communities are in and so forth, being told that we're evil and, you know, we're still not doing enough. So it's, it's, it's really quite something. Um, do you have a thought on the World Economic Forum or do you want to leave that one alone? You know, I don't really spend much time thinking about it. I think it's fairly representative, as you were saying, there, it's an overused term, but there clearly is a group of very wealthy elites, if you want to call them that, who um, spend a ton of money uh, trying to influence and make policy, basically buy policy, and they've been very successful um, because money Money drives a, a lot of that. And, you know, um, you look at the most recent, um, you know, green legislation that that was passed in this country, the primary beneficiaries of that are wealthy investors. The primary losers are the average consumer who, no matter what anybody tells you, are going to pay phenomenally more for electricity and other forms of energy. And um, and I think people really don't appreciate how close this is. We are at risk of very large-scale blackouts as, you know, truly reliable fossil fuel energy plants and nuclear plants are shut down um, and we have to rely on forms of energy that are inherently unreliable. I agree with you. I, 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 you keep seeing hints of these rolling, whatever they want to call them, blackouts or brownouts. And, you know, brownouts are a little less dark, I guess, is what that means. It's because they're just, you know, it's going to be some lights, but not all. Light. Who knows what it means? But it's, it, it is scary to me because we aren't the ones, the average citizens aren't the ones making those decisions about when and where and how to implement those. It's these people in power that, I'm sorry, I don't think they really know what the hell they're doing up there, but um, that's another thing. Uh, this Inflation Reduction Act is what you're referring to. Mm -hmm. that, that is this Green Deal, which they've admitted as such, is not really an Inflation Reduction Act. It's a it's a Green Deal. Um you mentioned nuclear. I, for the life of me, can't understand why we aren't turning more to this extremely safe, extremely clean form of energy. I do know that it's expensive up front, right, to, to build a, a nuclear site. But what, what do you make of this, this decision to either close plants in Europe and certainly not to plan them for the future? What's going on? Well, you know, it's it's a somewhat understandable reaction to, um, you know, some truly bad things that happened. Chernobyl being the worst, uh, Fukushima being another one in this country, although long ago, Three Mile Island. Yeah. You know, radiation to people has a negative uh, connotation. Um, so I, I think there's some of that lingering uh you know, sort of bad taste uh, around that particular form of energy. Finland just opened uh, a new nuclear plant uh, that has dramatically reduced the cost of electricity in that country and that produces so much power that they're um, able to export it outside uh, the country. Here in the U.S., uh, South Carolina, I think, is the only place 
and I believe this plant is just coming online, but the expectations are, again, that it's actually going to end up reducing the electric bills consumers place there. So... So that we could get we could get a good example then, yeah. right, from South Carolina yeah. of what it can do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that that Absolutely. would be that would be very cool. I, I yeah. like going to your blurbs here, and I want to cover a couple more before we're through. High cost medical patients: a glimpse at high cost enrollees in a commercial health plan is revealing. I'm just going to read a little bit from this. This is your blog from June 5th. You did a couple that day. It won't surprise you to learn that a relatively few patients account for a huge percent of health spending. The Employee Benefits Research Institute puts out a short brief giving some background on these people in the commercial, i.e. employee population. Among the top 1% in spending, 91% had at least one of the following conditions. Heart disease, respiratory conditions, musculoskeletal issues, nervous system disorders, which includes dementia and mental illness, or skin problems. And you said the last one surprises me. Skin problems surprises you. So, are, are, you know, what are we saying here? That it's a small percentage of people that are driving the prices higher? Yeah, it's I, and I just this morning published a companion piece on the whole U.S. population. There's a regular brief out brief that's put out by an obscure federal agency that um, puts out data on where the health spending occurs. And um, so literally 1% of the population accounts for about 25% of all spending. Um, And they have an average cost of $151,000 a year. On the other end of the spectrum, 15% of people have no health spending in a year. And 50% of the population only accounts for maybe 15% of total spending. And you know, it's interesting. That's not unexpected, right? I mean, things happen to right. people. They have right. serious episodes of cancer. A bad car accident, is, you know, people can end up in the hospital for weeks, um, and that's very expensive. What I always try to think about is, well, what does that tell you about how the system ought to be organized? And as our health insurance has gotten so expensive, we're making people – spend a lot of money um, and a bunch of it ends up going to administrative costs and profits, which I don't object to in general. But I keep thinking there's got to be a better way where most people, you know, have a health savings account or something and pay for that limited amount of expenses that they have. And the people who tend to have persistent high spending are in a health plan where their care is is managed. Uh, and I think we need to think about a different way of paying for this. The way we're currently doing it, um, I think, actually exacerbates the spending problem uh, because so much of it um, does go to stuff that's not the actual delivery of health care. So that's the main reason I, I like to... Uh, publish that research is to get people thinking about, um, you know, how should we handle health care in this country? 
Is there, you know, well, they tried with the American, the Affordable Hair, uh, Health Care Act. <laughs> the Unaffordable Care Act. The Unaffordable Health Care, uh, you know, oh, commonly called Obamacare. It yeah. hasn't worked well, uh, to my estimation. Now, you can say, oh, but so many more people are insured. Yeah, but at what cost? And do they need it? And you're, you know, you're either forcing people to buy a policy or they've got to pay a fine. I, I, I haven't kept up with that legislation. I don't know how, how, if you have and what you can tell us, uh, how, how, how have you followed it? Is it, is it doing what it promised it would do? I, I'm afraid I'm going to brace for the answer. Well, it, it hasn't, it hasn't, it, you know, uh, there are, the, the, there were, multiple goals coming out of that legislation. One was to expand the number of people who had some form of health insurance. And the reason that that was done is because of a belief that if people have health insurance, they're more likely to get health care that they need, and they're more likely um, to then be in good health and in the long run have lower spending. There were also a number of reforms that supposedly would reduce the cost of health care and of health insurance. Th those have really completely failed. Um, that, you know, we've seen ongoing growth, pretty rapid growth in both the cost of health care services and certainly in health insurance premiums. And we're kind of on the cusp right now of another cycle of an increase in the rate of growth uh, in that in that spending, so it definitely hasn't worked um, in in that respect. The thing that's missing, I think, and this has become a very old-fashioned uh, virtue, apparently. Um, there is no emphasis on personal responsibility in the healthcare system. You know, people, um, it's very clear that your health is linked uh, to certain behaviors. You know, eat healthy, get exercise, don't smoke, don't drink too much, don't take drugs, uh, a, a bunch of other stuff like that. Um, and we, we do nothing to either incent, encourage uh, good behavior or to penalize bad behavior. And I, you know, the reason health doesn't improve in this country is because we don't do anything about those behaviors. And so I personally think um, if you don't build that concept of you have to take responsibility for your health, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, we're going to continue to see what we see in this country, which is this phenomenal rate of uh, people being overweight, yes. um, people having diabetes, people having high blood pressure, all of this health stuff. It's directly linked um, to what people do in their lives. Let me ask you before we go about food in this country, because I, I have a friend who was raised in Saudi Arabia. He, he's lived all over the world. And he said, I can see why in America the obesity issue is as significant as it is, because if you look at the ingredients labels on any of the food in the grocery stores, we're not talking about lettuce, we're not talking about fresh fruit, we're talking about processed foods. There are so many ingredients in there that are just muck, that are just, you know, they, they either keep you eating the salt or the sugar that's in it because it's just so satisfying or whatever. I mean, do you think that, that some of this accountability, obviously we have to 
we have to take responsibility for what we put in our bodies, as you've just said. But is our Food and Drug Administration doing right by us in that regard? Yeah, you know, I I don't know the answer. I think part of the problem, but I'm certainly prone to this, is like we like stuff that tastes good, and the food yeah. companies are really good at making stuff taste good, even yeah. though, as you said, a lot of the ingredients that are in it um, promote other aspects of our biochemistry that aren't yeah. so great. Right. Um, you, you know, it's difficult, right? When you want a free society, it's <laughs> difficult to kind of like, how much should we say this is what you have to do? Um, so I, I, I don't know where the line is. I'm, I'm sure you know, if it's really apparent that something is not beneficial and, and has negative impacts, then it um, it probably should be limited. The FDA, in regard to supplements and food, has clearly kind of backed off all of all of that and does not take, um, you know, other than obvious safety issues, just uh, neglects food, uh, yeah. in the food and its food and drug safety stuff. And most of its effort is spent on drugs. And, and that's probably, probably wise. And we, uh, like you said, we are responsible for what we put in our bodies. Last one for you. We'll do a quick lightning round here. Here's one from, uh, I'm trying to find the date on this June 4th. Racism is a problem, whoever it comes from. And I'll read the beginning. The DEI campaign, diversity, equity, inclusion, along with fake climate change, the leading ideology, ideological makeover pushed by the pro-regressives, you call them, has made every aspect of American life worse by heightening people's awareness of certain immutable characteristics, such as sex, skin color, and age, and using that as the basis for everything in life. Every decision that gets made, every consequence that everyone endures must be related to these characteristics. And then you decide that people with certain of these characteristics have been quote-unquote disadvantaged, and must simply be given anything and everything they want, and others have been, quote-unquote, oppressors, and they should be punished and get nothing. Why can't we all just get along indeed? Referring to, uh, oh, my goodness, the guy in California. Yeah. Why can't I remember his name all of a sudden? Yeah, I'm blanking on it, too. Uh, uh, Rodney Rodney King. King. There we go, John. Thank you, John, the producer, jumping in with the answer, as always. Rodney King, why can't we all just get along? I, I am with you on this. I have asked this question thousands of times. I think Tim Scott is pushing back on this idea that, you know, he's an exception and not the rule. If everyone want to make, wants to make him the exception, they can do that. But I, I see a lot of exceptions then to these rules. I consider myself one of them. Hispanic female who knew nobody, nobody in the sports broadcasting industry and just worked my tail off to get where I wanted to go. So uh, is, is this what you're getting at here? And, and do you think, let me, let me get your answer to that first. Well, it, look, uh, there's been a lot of racism. There's been a lot of sexism. Yes. yes. It, I'm sure it persists. Uh, unfortunately, there's barriers to any individual being successful. The question is, how do we address that? Um, and, how do we, I, I think, you know, the whole equity thing is what really disturbs me the most because it's one thing to truly and really ensure that people have equal opportunity and give people from disadvantaged backgrounds 
a boost. It's a different thing to say, you know, everything has to be equal. Uh, and if the outcomes aren't equal, then that's discriminatory. Right. And that's the premise of the DEI movement. And the reality is, I don't think there's a single person in the country who would say that relationships between people of different races have gotten better in the country as a result of that. Mm -hmm. If anything, they've gotten worse. Yeah. And that's my concern. That's not where we want to be. We don't want people distrusting each other and judging each other on the basis of skin color, uh, sex, in anything else. And, and it's back to the personal responsibility thing. People are individuals. They are not part of a group. Um, and people's behavior and what people accomplish in life should be based on what they do as individuals. Right. Um, and we are just moving away from that. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's very damaging uh, to the country. You know, we've basically ended the idea of meritocracy. Um, and, and I think we're going to pay the price for that. I I hope we have seen the glimpse of it and that it's starting to turn around. I get the sense from some corners, just a few, that people are tired of this and people are understanding that we cannot guarantee equal outcomes. And if we do, then we lower the bar for everyone because you can't just, not everyone is going to be a superstar. Not everyone is going to be Beyonce. And it, it, you, you, there's just no way. That's not going to happen. We all have different talents. We all have different skills. Our right. outcomes in life are going to be different based on who we are as individuals, as you said. So I, I, I hope we've gotten a glimpse of it. And I hope, God, I, I really do hope we, we, we stop this nonsense because I agree with you. I think it's, we're, we're looking at each other and not trusting each other based on immutable characteristics and, and then calling each other bigots and, phobes of every kind and hateful mm -hmm. and it's it's just so divisive uh this is a really cool blog and i would encourage people to go there there, there are all kinds of headlines and commentary and useful links healthy-skeptic.com healthy-skeptic.com and the healthy skeptic has been our guest today kevin roche it's been great talking to you i hope we can do it again uh it's been my pleasure thank you very much don't forget, everyone, um, as you walk into the world today with all of this background, be brave and do some good. Thanks for listening.